You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. You and I need to say, God, I surrender to it. God, I surrender to what you want to do. God, would you get glory in this? God, I won't give up. I won't quit. I'm going to keep making progress as God just applies the pressure. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now... Here is Pastor Micaiah. Happy Father's Day to everybody. I hope you had a great start to your morning for all the dads out there. Man, I have been looking forward to Father's Day. I love Father's Day at Southridge just because it's a great day, not only to honor all the dads, but then also just to honor the men in our uh, church. It's just kind of neat. I was doing a little research this week about, you know, the top manliest cities in the country. Would it surprise you to know that San Jose did not make the top 10 manliest cities? Would it surprise you to know that we didn't even make the top 20? We didn't make the top 30. We didn't make the top 40. We were number, can anybody guess? 50. 50, okay? Like, but here's what I don't get. If you're from Ohio, Ohio got three cities in the top 10. So if you're from Ohio, Isaac, you apparently are the most manliest person in the room. And if you know Isaac, all of a sudden, you start to question the, 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 the reality of where they're getting their data and their information. Because though he is a man and though he is uh, very uh, great at helping set up and tear down, he is an engineer through and through. Like, he just, you know, I don't know if he owns a pair of cowboy boots or tight-fitting jeans. I just don't, I don't know if it's there. Uh, but it, it's, it's interesting to see that, that when it comes to being a man, that it, it's all up for debate. They basically base the survey off of how many hardware stores that you have in your city and how many steakhouses you have in your city. This is the criteria, okay? And then the other one, what brought the score down was how many boutique uh, stores you have and how many shopping malls that you have. And apparently, uh, the Bay Area has a lot of those. That just kind of brought our score way, way down. So, But it's okay. I see a lot of great men in this room, and we're just excited to be with you. And I was looking forward to this day. I was talking to my wife. She plans a lot of the logistics uh, and like the donut wall, the uh, cool root beer float gift that we have for all the dads on the way out, plus the man crate. She just kind of does all the detail work. And so otherwise, I would basically be like passing out just pieces of meat to you on the way out. Like, there you go. Here's some meat. I don't know. It probably wouldn't be cooked. It'd be like raw. <laughs> I'd have like a little cooler. Like, hey, here you go. You know, and just but that's probably what it would end up if it was me. So uh, my wife does a lot of the logistics planning. And then she was telling about the donuts. And I even was telling people at my gym, I was like, I'm so pumped about these donuts, you know, Stan's Donuts, and I was just so pumped, and, uh, I, and I even told me we're having Stan's Donuts, and then last night, I was like, hey, babe, who's picking up Stan's Donuts? She said, what are you talking about, Stan's? I was like, yeah, yeah, Stan's. She's like, no, 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 it's Sam's. I was like, not today, Satan. Oh, no, oh, no. So, you know what I did at 5.30 this morning? Yeah, yeah, I went to Stan's, and uh, I was like, this ain't gonna stop me that we're having Sam's and not Stan's. I got lied to by my own wife, lied to, betrayed on Father's Day. I'm gonna go get me some Stan's. So I showed up and there was probably about another 40 or 50 people who had the same idea that I did. And I pull up and they all just laughed, they knew. They were like, you ain't getting nothing. 
we're going to eat it all before you get in there. And I was like, well played, Satan. Satan won, Micaiah zero, okay, which is how my morning started out. But it's good to be with you guys. And uh, the donuts out there, they're not Stan's, they're Sam's. Just as, just as good, I'm sure. I didn't have one, but uh, they're great. And then at the very end of the service, we're going to be doing some man crates. We're looking forward to it. And uh, Father's Day is a great time to honor your dads. I was telling some friends of mine, once again at my gym. A lot of my stories were all around the gym. I spent a lot of time there. And uh, so I was telling what we did uh, for Father's Day. And you can go online, and you can have a celebrity for a price make a greeting for you. So my dad's from Wisconsin, born and raised from Wisconsin. He's a cheese head, you know. He doesn't quite have the, the Wisconsin accent, you know. But he loves the Packers, and his favorite quarterback is Brett Favre. So if you're a Packer fan, you know Brett Favre. And uh, so my dad loves Brett Favre. So what we decided, my brothers, he calls me up. He's like, hey, we can have a celebrity give our dad a happy Father's Day greeting. And I was like, that's an awesome idea. How much is it? And he was like, it's 500 bucks. I was like, are you kidding me? Is there anybody else cheaper? They were like, Charlie Sheen's 135. I was like, you know, and, they, and I was like, okay, all right. But we still went with Brett Favre. So I was all pumped about it. So I told some friends at the gym, I was like, yeah, we got Brett Favre to do this greeting. And they were like, are you sure it's Brett Favre? And I was like, don't do that. I just dropped 500 bucks. Don't do that. They were like, how do you know it's Brett Favre? I was like, the guy said he was Brett Favre. Like, so I just, so, so help me out. Is this Brett Favre? Let's play a little video. Help me out. Is this Brett Favre? Hey, Mark. It's Brett Favre. A lot of things to like about you. You're a father of seven children. You're a pastor. You're from Wisconsin, and you love the Packers. So a lot of good things going for you. But really, you're seven kids, seven kids, um, wanted me to tell you how much um, they adore you, how thankful they are for you, how blessed they are to have you as their father. So uh, pretty cool stuff. Happy Father's Day, and uh, thank you for being a Packers fan and, and all that good stuff. But God bless. Take care. Was that Brett Favre? Help me out. Was that, I'm a little bit nervous this afternoon. I'm going to see my dad and be like, uh, we think it's Brett Favre. It's a Brett Favre lookalike, you know. I think it's Brett Favre. We're going to go with that. But did you catch? He kind of hesitated when he was like seven kids, kind of choked. Like he would rather see a bunch of linebackers coming at him instead of having to raise seven kids. He was like seven, like, like seven. You kind of choked up there. But we love dads on Father's Day. And so we're going to be continuing our series entitled Not Today Say. We've been looking at the moments that Satan kind of uses in our life. And it's, it, it's interesting because he doesn't catch us at our best moments. It kind of seems like he finds us and he puts us into these moments where it's like we're already under pressure. And that's exactly when he starts to work in our life so to get us to, to lash out, act out, to yell out. I mean, it just seems like when everything is going wrong, those are the moments that he wants to use. And they're little moments. Some are bigger than others. Some it's a bad doctor's report. Some it's simple, uh, like you switch cars with your wife and a, you have to be somewhere. You don't have a lot of time. You get in the car, and there's no gas in that car. And you have to drive all the way the other side of town. All of a sudden, you're like, man, this, this is terrible. And then you pull off at a gas station, but they're doing road work, so you can't get to the gas station. You're about to run out of gas. Not that this actually happened to me this week, but it did. And then you're late for an appointment, and it just dominoes. The effect is just, it just compounds. You know, and it seems like those are the moments that you have to struggle to keep your cool, that you have to struggle to stay calm under the pressure. And so we've been looking at pressure, and many Many of us deal with real pressure, financial pressure. We have uh, also the pressure of providing, 
the pressure of relationships. You got the pressure of, of where you work and the friends and neighbors you have. There's all kinds of pressure that you're dealing with. And so it's easy for Satan to take advantage of our disadvantage. And at those moments, it's when he wants to strike and when he wants to get us down. So there's got to be some things that help us to withstand the pressure. So we looked at week number one, and we talked about how oftentimes when pressure comes, we kind of feel like we're trapped in a prison, and we just feel like this pressure is all around us. And it seems like there's more and more pressure, so you just feel more and more closed in. And so when you see it as a prison, you want to escape it. But we said that's not how pressure works. Pressure is a platform to embrace, not escape. Then we went on to say, hey, how do we handle, what's the process for pressure? Like, how do we really uh, uh, grow in this? And we looked at uh, how to make peace with pressure and how pressure works in our life for God to create more power in our life. That it's that pressure that's built up. Because we said that when it comes to pressure, sometimes we feel like we're going to explode. And then sometimes you feel like you're going to implode. And exploding, we see when someone explodes, and then sometimes we don't always notice that someone's imploded, that something inside of them has just kind of crashed and died, that they're just like, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. So something inside them dies. They lose their passion. They lose their zest and their joy for life. And something inside is imploded. And so that's what pressure can do to a person. And so we're looking at how do we recover from this? How do we deal with it? Because in the Bay Area, it just seems like there's so much pressure, isn't there? There's just the pressure to get to work on time. I mean, who would have thought that would be a struggle? And it's not, and it's not because you're lazy, you can't set an alarm clock. It's that there's tons of traffic, and then there's people who can't drive, and then there's a ladder in the freeway, and it just seems like, you got to be kidding me. I can't even make it to work on time. Or it's the simple thing that I'm just trying to find a babysitter for my kids so my wife and I can get a date night, and you're struggling with that. You're trying to find time to do everything, to manage everything, just to keep the yards nice, just to spend time with your children, spend time with the relationships that are important to you. There's all this pressure. Then there's this pressure, you got to save money. There's this pressure, you got to make money. And it just seems like this area, it compounds where there's so much pressure. And you've got to perform, and you've got to be successful, and you've got to have it all together. And it just seems like you can get hemmed in on every side where you're just ready to wave the white flag and surrender to all the pressure. Because you're like, I don't know if I can handle it. And so we've been looking and studying the life of the Apostle Paul, and he's written so much about pressure. And I want to go to the book of Philippians, chapter number one. If you have a copy of God's word, Philippians chapter number one, it's in the New Testament. And it's the apostle Paul. He's writing from a prison cell and uh, he's towards the end of his life. He spent two of the last years of his life in prison. And so he writes this letter to a church in a city called Philippi. So he writes this letter to them. He's in prison. So you would think a guy in prison can be down, discouraged. But I love how Paul starts this letter. Verse number three, he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Now, if you are dating somebody, that is a great pickup line verse. Like, just, just put that in there. Christian pickup verse. I used to always send it to Jane, you know, Philippians 1.3. She'd look at it, you know, kind of blush. And one of those things. I mean, there's, there's other good ones you can, you can also use. You can also say something like this. Now I know why Solomon had 700 wives because he hadn't met you. You know, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of good pick, Christian pickup lines. If you are single, I'm going to help you out today. All right, I got a lot of them. All right, here's another one. Uh, you could say this. I put the stud in Bible study. Yeah, come on. That's, that's horrible. That's horrible. And uh, uh, you can put another one uh, if you're talking to a girl. So last night I was reading in the book of Numbers, and I realized I don't have yours. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. I don't have your number. Okay, need that. Last one. I promise I won't do any more. Uh, how many times do I have to walk? Walk around you to make you fall for me. 
Yeah, there we go. There we go. Come on. That's hot. That's hot. That's Christian pickup lines. Come on. All right. Christian mingle right there. Okay. You're like, no, that's how I will stay single. Okay. If I use that, I'm just going to stay single. So, but I do love verse number three. He continues on. He says, verse number four, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that I first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me in the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives unto the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me, think about that. He's summing up his entire life. He's in prison, and he's about to give an explanation for it. He's going through intense pressure. He's in Rome. He's in jail. And it's not like our jails today that have a a TV, that have the gym, that have a nice clean cot and three square meals a day. Basically, the gym was, or not the gym, basically the prison was just a hole in the ground. And if you didn't have friends that were sending you clothes or sending you money for food, you would starve in this hole. I've been in these prisons when I was in Israel. And you just see it's just a hole in the ground. And so he's saying, while he's in this place, this horrible place, he's saying this. He's saying, I want you to know that everything that has happened to me has helped. What? Everything that's happened to me has helped. Like, if you we just stop there, because some of us this morning, you're looking at everything you went through this week, and you're like, I don't think it helped. (laughs) Breaking down the car did not help. Argument with my spouse did not help. Getting fired from the job did not help. Meeting with the doctor did not help. Talking with my family did not help. There's a whole lot of things I can go through that did not help. But Paul is saying, hey, everything that's happened to me, and guess what? He's been through a lot. The apostle Paul was in shipwrecks. There was a time where he was stoned. They thought he had died. This is where they took rocks to bash his head in and thought he had died. And he had been, uh, so many times he had his life threatened. And he's summing up his entire life because now he's an old man. And he's saying, hey guys, everything that's happened to me has helped. Wow. I don't know about you, but I just want to stop right there, and I want that. I want to be able to look back on my life. I want to be able to uh, Monday morning quarterback this thing and kind of look back and be able to say, hey, all of this, it all helped. It all helped. Helped what? And he says it. It helped the spreading of the good news. You see, The biggest thing that Satan would love to do is for you, when things come at you, for you to just fall and crush under the pressure. For you to just give up under the pressure. But the biggest thing that frustrates Satan is what he sent to hurt you ends up helping you. You want to frustrate him, you do that. You take the things that he said, hey, this will get them. 
Oh, I know how to take that relationship and really pull it apart. Hey, I know how to set this guy up for failure. Hey, I know how to make sure that everything that financially is going to go right, I know how to mess all that up. I know how to mess up the, uh, the lives of his kids. I know how to do all of this. And he sends this stuff. Satan sends this stuff. And it's you and I, we have the ability to say, hey, everything that you sent to hurt me, it's actually, it's helped me. And I want to dig this out because many of us this morning, we're sitting here and we're asking ourselves a question. And this is the question we're asking ourselves. God, are you punishing me? Because we're under such extreme pressure. So all of a sudden, you start going through your mind, like, what did I do wrong? Because when something bad happens to you, you think it's obviously it's got to be punishment. Because that's just how we grew up, right? That's when you do something wrong or when bad things start happening, it's because you did something wrong. So our mind starts going through, well, well, did I not go to church enough? Did I not give enough in the offering? Hey, did I not sing loud enough? Did I not clap loud enough? Did I not raise my hand in worship? Like, what am I doing wrong that God would punish me? And here, you and I are confused about pressure and punishment, and they're two totally different things. And there's a lot of Christians that they say, I don't want anything to do with God. Why? Because they think that as soon as bad things start happening in the relationship, at the job, with their health, with their friends, with their career, and their successful path in life, as soon as that starts getting a little bit messed up, all of a sudden think, God is punishing me. Yeah, he's out to get me. He's out to get me for what I did way back all those years ago. It's karma. I'm reaping what I'm sowing. It's all coming back to me now. And we look at everything as if it's a punishment. I'm here to tell you, it's not punishment. You see, pressure is not punishment this morning. You see, how do you know? You see, how you can tell the difference between pressure and punishment is by the intention. It's by the intention. If you're taking notes, I would write that down. The difference between pressure and punishment is intention. Would you look at verse number six one more time? Here's what Paul is saying. He's teaching this church, and he's trying to tell them something. You guys are going to go through stuff like I'm going through stuff. He's in prison for two years. He spent in prison before they executed him, before they cut off his head. Here's where he spent the last two years of his life, and he's trying to help people to say, hey, hey, you're going to go through tough things. You're going to go through difficult things. So how do you put it in perspective? How do you handle all that pressure? And he said this. He said in verse number six, and I am certain I'm certain of this. I'm positive. I'm confident in this. That God who has begun the work in you. What did he put before work? I heard it. So what's God's intention? It's good. You see, so it's not that God is trying to punish you. It's that it's pressure and God's going to send his intention. What is God's intention? His intention is good. You see, you and I, we don't often like to get into difficult situations, but now we can step back and say, wait a minute, this is for my good. Now, I wouldn't have wished it. I wouldn't have wanted it. But guess what? There will come a day and age where I'm going to look back and I'm going to say, hey, that was good. That was difficult. That was hard. But that was so good for me. That matured me. That grew me up. That helped me. I can't tell you how many times in my marriage where there's been difficult, where there's been painful times between Jane and I, and we just had to work through that negative emotion. We just had to work through uh, the fact that she was brought up in a different type of home with different values. And all of a sudden, we got married, and that was like a clash of values. There was a clash of how we do things. And there was arguments over little things, little things like why we take off our shoes in the house. I don't want to take off my shoes in the house because I'm going to leave the house in just a second. I just forgot my keys. I just 
please let me go grab my keys and let me leave the house without taking my shoes off. All right, I almost said take my feet off, but I was like, that would be impossible uh, for me. And so, uh, you know, but then it would just turn into an argument about little stuff, just little things. Another thing, uh, the dishwasher washes your dishes. It's not a drying rack, right? Yeah, no, apparently not. Apparently, it dries your dishes. You still wash them. I said, this is not the dark ages, all right? God gave us a dishwasher for a reason. She said, yes, but we don't want to wear it out. We're not going to wear it out. It's going to be fine. It's an apartment. They'll, they'll deal with it. It's okay. But these would be the fights, and they're simple, right? It's little. But then all of a sudden, it's just these little things that get bigger and bigger. And then you start looking at each other and start thinking, man, we fight all the time. We argue all the time. Are we meant for each other? I've literally said this in the relationship. I married the wrong person. You know why? Because you just feel like, God, you're punishing me with this person. This is not the person that when we started dating, she was all about me. And now, all of a sudden, there's no time. What happened? Because we start looking at things that God is sending this pressure, and it's building us. It's helping us to mature. It's helping us to grow up. It's helping us to say, you know what? Yeah, in my house, if i got to take off my shoes, that makes you happy, that's easy. You're not asking for a Louis Vuitton purse. You're not asking for a, a McLaren. You're asking me to take off my shoes, and that'll make you happy? I will take off my shoes. That'll make you happy. It's just like, it's easy, but what happens? We understand this pressure. We're like, and we start getting all upset. Why? Because we don't want to handle the pressure that makes us better. And we see the pressure as punishment. And God is trying to tell you that is not the truth. You see, you and I, we need to understand what is truth. This morning, you are under pressure, but you need to know the truth about that pressure. Because if you start believing a lie about that pressure, that God is just after you, God just wants to punish you, here, here's what I want you to know. All the punishment that God ever needed to deal with, he poured out on his son, Jesus. And Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Jesus paid it all. So God is not after you. God is not out to get you. And so you and I need to step back and say, this is pressure. And this pressure is because God started something good in me. And guess what? I need to keep working this out. So I'm, gonna, I'm, going, to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take this pressure and I'm not going to let it manipulate me. This is the truth about the pressure. And guess what? Now I can trust that God has good intention for me. Because guess what? Many of us, we take that truth. We don't have the right truth. We will not trust him because we don't, we don't think he's good. And you and I don't trust people we don't think are good. If there is some random person that comes up to you that you don't know, and they say, hey, can I have your car keys? You're going to be like, no. You don't trust them. You don't trust them. Yeah, that's right. Not today. Say, no, it's not going to happen. That's exactly what you're going to do. But if it's a good friend that you've known for a long time, they say, hey, I really need to borrow your car. You're like, yeah, not a problem, man. Just bring it back with the same amount of gas, roughly, somewhere in there. Eyeball it. Just make sure there's something. Don't leave it on empty. And all of a sudden, why? Because you trust that person. You see, God is trying to get you to a point where you say, guess what? God's not punishing me. He's trying to build something inside of me. So now I have a new truth, and I can trust him. And this is very important because I see a lot of Christ followers, a lot of Jesus followers, they get to a point where they no longer uh, know what's true about what God is trying to do about a situation, and they don't trust him. So then they're like, I don't know if I can really trust this. I don't know if I want to keep following him. So pressure isn't punishment. But I love this. The Apostle Paul, he, he understood this, and he wants you and I to understand it. But then he goes on, and he talks about in verse number 12, he says, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me 
has helped spread the good news. What is the good news? It's called the gospel. The gospel is simply good news. Every time you come to church, that's our goal, is to just give you good news. I love good news. I hope you like good news. Every Sunday should always be about good news. And I'm sorry that the good news is not stands, it's Sam's, okay? But it's still free donuts, okay? So it's still kind of good news. It, it, it's wannabe good news. But I mean, it, it, it's where you need to come and hear that fact that God is saying, hey, I want the good news to be spread. I want more people to know about it. So here's what's amazing. Paul is in prison. Paul is limited. Everybody else is looking at Paul. And think about this, just for a moment, just for a moment. He's writing to a church. Now, how much influence... Would you let your pastor have if your pastor was in San Quentin? And he's like, all right, guys, okay, 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 okay. Everybody listen up, church. Let me tell you how to really do the Christian life. You're like, bro, you're in prison. I don't know if I want to get my advice from you, okay? I know you're writing this letter and all, but unless you're telling me how to break into bank vaults, I don't know if you're the authority that I need to be respecting and looking up to. I'm just being real. You probably wouldn't listen to that person. But Paul's saying, hey, even in this prison, it's not a prison. It's a platform. And here's what's amazing. Under all that pressure, Paul said this, I'm still making progress. I'm still making progress. You see, that is the goal of pressure, that the pressure comes along and you keep making progress. Because what happens to a lot of people? Pressure shuts you down. As soon as the pressure comes, you stop making progress. You know, for the longest time, I had a really bad habit. When my life got crazy and hectic and things just got all bad, I would just put everything on my life on hold, everything on life. I wouldn't be in the word, I wouldn't be praying, I wouldn't be going to the gym, I wouldn't be watching what I eat, I wouldn't be making sure my marriage is on fire, I wouldn't make sure I was spending time with my kids. I would just be like, whoa, I got a big emergency. So everything would just stop and I would quit making progress. And God's like, that's not what you do when pressure comes along. That's not what you do. You see, when pressure comes, that's the time you keep making progress. You see, what happens is you and I want to make more progress than we think we should be making. We want our kids to be perfect today. Your kid is two years old. It's going to take another 16 years, okay? So give it some time. Be patient because guess what? Quality doesn't come overnight. And you and I want quality. You want a quality marriage? That doesn't just happen because you buy flowers. That doesn't just happen instantly. You want a quality relationship with God? That doesn't just happen overnight. So you've got to say, pressure's coming, but I'm still going to make some progress here. I'm still going to keep working at this. I'm still going to keep chipping away at this. So go ahead, God, bring the weight on me. I'm going to keep making some progress. I'm going to keep marching towards my goal because guess what? Pressure won't stop my progress. Touch your neighbor and say, don't let pressure stop your progress. Don't let pressure stop your progress because God has something for you. He wants to do something through you and so guess what there are people in your life they don't expect you to make progress right now they don't expect you they don't expect your marriage to work they don't expect your relationship to work they don't expect your career to work they don't expect any of it and I'm not just saying hey get on an ego trip and I'll show you I'm just saying keep making progress don't don't feel like you got to answer him just keep making progress I like the video uh, a couple weeks ago what's his name Thor was doing his uh, bear crawls waited and then Jack Black did some Weighted bear crawls, except he had like those little girly weights, you know, pink. I'm sorry, that's like sexist, isn't it? Excuse me. They, they, were, they were gender neutral colored weights, and uh, he was using them, and he was doing them. But, but what is it? The bear crawls are hard enough, but you add some weight, add some pressure. What's happening? He's not making as much progress on the surface. But under the surface, he's making a ton of progress. You see, you are making so much progress, most people just can't see it yet. But one day, they're going to be like, bro, look at you. Look at that marriage, man. Overnight, you guys just turned your marriage around. Oh, no, no, no. It didn't happen overnight. 
Oh, man, look at your job. Look at your career. You just turned that thing around overnight. Oh, no, no, that was a long night. You see, I decided that I'm going, to make pro- I'm going to make progress under the pressure. You see, you and I have to make a mental shift that we say it is hard right now. It is difficult right now, but I'm going to make some progress. I'm going to work at this thing. I'm not going to give up. And that's what Paul is saying. He's trying to say to the church, guess what? I'm in prison, but I'm still making progress. We don't have any excuses to not make progress. You see, too often what we do is we abort the process for a temporary payoff. We abort the process. And God is saying, hey, there is a process to what you want to accomplish in life. There is a process, and we abort the process. Why? Because we want the easy payoff. And there's always an easy way out. We've hit this. We've covered this. We know this. And God is trying to get us to a point where we say, you know what? Don't choose the easy way out. Don't abort the process. And many of us, we jump out of the process. Trust the process. Stay in the fight. Stay engaged in the relationship. Say, you know what? Date nights are important. Hey, you know what? Spending time with my children is important. Hey, this is valuable time. This is where I need to be. I need to be with my friends. I need to be in the house of God. I need to do these things, okay? Don't abort the process, but too many times you do. I love what Paul wrote in another passage. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that he will reveal in us. He's saying, hey guys, what we're going through right now, it's not even going to be compared to what's going to happen in the future. You see, God is doing so much more underneath the surface, but too often, We're looking at the highlight reels of everybody else. They look like they're doing so great. They look like they got it all together. And God is trying to remind us that, guess what? Keep making progress. Don't quit. Don't stop. You know, many of you, I don't think you know my wife's name is actually not Jane. That's not her name. It's not Jane. We call her Jane. She responds to Jane. But that's actually not her name. If you look at her driver's license, that's not her name. It's not her name. Only her close friends and family know her real name. Her real name is Jane Ann, but it looks like Janine. And she didn't like it because everybody would call her Janine because it looks like Janine. doesn't look like Jane Ann. And when I first met her, uh, everybody would call her Jane. And then I was looking at her driver's license. I was like, your driver's license says Janine. She's like, no, it's Jane Ann. I was like, well, that's kind of different, but you're still cute, so it's okay. And, uh, <laughs> but we had a vice president of our college that would always call her Jane Ann. Be like, Jane Ann. Actually, he would call her Janine. He would look at her driver's license and everything just kind of looked like Janine's, so, so she hated it. So uh, uh, she would always be like, Janine, I heard you're dating that Micaiah guy. And at the time, I was not the mature, responsible, respectable, handsome, dashing, wonderful person you see in front of you this morning. All right? I was 21, and I was in college, and I had a lot of things to work on. I still do. I still do. And I don't take too kindly to all the laughter that I'm hearing. That hurts my heart. And... Uh, a lot of therapy to get over that. And so I remember my wife at the time was my girlfriend. She told me, she was like, hey, the vice president of our college talked to me. And I was like, oh, yeah? Was something good? She's like, no, we went to a small college, about 1,000 students, really small Christian college. She was like, no, I think he wants me to break up with you. Oh, that dirty rat, jerk, chump. I'm like, what in the world? That guy should mind his own business. And this is what the vice president told my girlfriend at the time. I heard your, uh, and we called it talking. I don't know if they still, they, I heard your, Janine, I heard you're talking to Micaiah. And uh, he had like uh, a <laughs> T-Rex arms. He was a huge guy, but, but his elbows were, were, were locked in here. So he'd be like, Janine, I, I heard you're talking to Micaiah. And I kid you not, this, everything he did, he didn't, his elbows were affixed to his body. And he was like six foot four, biggest dude, huge, played basketball, just a massive dude. But he had no elbows. I was like, like, 
come on, move your elbows. But everything was here, and, and he would do this. He's like, Janine, I heard you're dating or you're talking to Micaiah. You know he doesn't pay his bills on time. <laughs> okay. And you know he doesn't get good grades. No surprise there. Homeschooled, all right? And it wasn't going to be good grades. And he just goes on and on and on about this guy. And I was just, when she relayed the story, I was like so frustrated. I was like, why would you do that? Because everything that she valued in her Asian culture was money, (laughs) good grades, and a guy that actually has a future, okay? And I was none of those at 21, all right? Don't judge me, okay? And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And it was at that point where it was kind of like, people don't believe that you're going to make any progress. And right now, you have people that are calling you out saying, I don't think you're going to make any progress. And it's not for you and I to prove them wrong. It's for you and I to say, okay, God, I got a lot of pressure, and I got all kinds of excuses to not do well. Because you're right. I'm not very good with my grades. I'm not very good with my money. I don't have it all together. I'm immature. I need to grow. But what we do is we allow that weight to crush us, to give up, to quit. Instead of saying, God, all these things that people are saying, it's all true. They're right. I don't need to argue with them. I don't need to fight them. God, but I need your help right now. Because this pressure is stopping me from making the progress I want to make. And God wants you and I to prosper under the pressure. God wants us to keep going. So I'm here to tell you this morning that God can take those moments and God can turn it around. That God can do what you think is, 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 there's no way to bring it back. There's no way to salvage it. And there's all kinds of passages in the Bible that talk about how people lost things and things were taken from them. I think about in John chapter number two, you see that there's a wedding and the wine ran out at the wedding. And it's Jesus' first miracle. Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they've ran out. There's, there's nothing left. And you might be sitting here saying, there is nothing left in my life. I've got nothing left. And that's when Jesus did his first miracle. He turned water into wine. He took what they had lost, and he said, what do you have left in the house? They said, we just have water. And the water that was left back then, you would walk into a house, and they didn't have a sink to wash your hands and feet. So they had these six water stones. As you would walk in, you would wash your hands, and you would wash your feet as you came into someone's house. That's what they had left to drink. Because water, in those days, you had to go to a well miles away and get the water. So Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, they've ran out of wine. There's nothing left. And Jesus says, well, what do they have? And they said, the only thing we have are these six stone pots. Each stone pot was filled with about 60 gallons of water. But this is the water that all the guests from the wedding had washed their hands and their feet in. And it was hot and dusty, so they'd washed their faces. This is not the water, Jesus. We want to be drinking. And Jesus said, bring that water to me. And that was the water that Jesus turned into the best wine. You see, you and I don't realize that God doesn't need what you lost. He only needs what's left. And the biggest miracles happen not in the stuff that you thought was so valuable. Some of us are holding on to things that we need to let go of. Some of us say, I would be better if I still had that job. I would be better if I still had that relationship. I'd be better if I hadn't gotten sick. I'd be better. And you don't know that. 
God is saying, I do more with less than you do with having all of it. God says, I want to work with the leftovers. I want to work with the broken parts. I want to work with the stuff that you think nobody else wants. God's like, I want it. Bring it to me because I'm going to do the biggest miracle. God shows us a mystery in these miracles that God is saying, hey, look, there's this pressure, but you could still make progress under it. We're running out of time. But I want to share this last thing. The Apostle Paul goes on to say that pressure is here for a purpose. That's really what he's saying. The pressure is here for a purpose. You see, you and I, we look at our life and we think it's just an accident, incident, or coincidence. And it's not. It's not. I didn't know when I was talking to my wife at the time who was Asian, I didn't know that God was going to use that. Because I grew up in Fresno, California. And I'm just going to say, a white neighborhood, white parents, pretty much a white school. And it was just all I knew. I didn't, I didn't think about it, right? Then I went to a college that was predominantly white. So all of a sudden I started talking to an Asian. And then, I kid you not, my youngest brother, when he first met Jane, wanted to touch her. Like he had never seen. Like, I kid you not, it's really embarrassing. It's super embarrassing. Jane was like, what are they doing? I was like, you're beautiful. And they just want to, are you real? It was because he had never seen somebody Asian. That's how embarrassing it was. We were just sheltered. We lived in a bomb shelter, underground, homeschooled, and ate pork and beans, all right? Not that bad, but close. Y2K, my dad thought was totally real, all right? He, he seriously did. And I remember at the time, like, man, it's so hard to marry somebody from a different culture. But then God led me to the Bay Area, which maybe you've noticed, there's a lot of Asians in the Bay Area. There's a lot. And when I first got here as a single white dude, they wouldn't really talk to me or engage with me. And I don't blame them. I was very white, still am very white. I showed up to set up in shorts and they were like, whoa, the sun, hide the sun, put it out, stop it. I was like, I know, I need help guys. But then two years later after moving here, I get married to a Filipino. All of a sudden I meet people that are Asian, they're like, come on over, come on, let's go. I was like. I haven't changed. I just married some of Filipino. All of a sudden, all these doors opened up. All the pressure we went through of interracial marriage, all that pressure with dating, all the pressure of learning that there's different types of rice and how you eat your rice and that a hot dog with rice is totally acceptable and that breakfast is really just whatever you had the night before. That's breakfast in Filipino culture. You just warm it up and that's going to be your breakfast. Just throw an egg on it and you're going to be good. That's, that is breakfast, okay? And, and there's no such thing as really breakfast food in Filipino culture. It's just whatever. Whatever you got, just throw an egg on it and then there you go. Eat it. But the doors that God, I know it's true. I, I married a Filipino. It's true. But God opened up doors because of the pressure. And you and I, we think the pressure is just pointless, and it's not. That pressure in the past is going to show up in your future, and God's going to use it. And God is connecting these dots that right now, if you don't fully understand, if you can't look back like Paul and say, everything that's happened to me has happened to help me, then guess what? It's too soon. It's too soon. You say, yeah, but pastor, you, you don't understand about the medical report I just got. I know. You don't understand, pastor. I just, I just lost a loved one. Yeah, I know. It's too soon. You don't know how it's going to help you yet. You don't know how God is going to use it yet. You see, God never 
waste a trial or a test in your life. God is taking that pressure and he's trying to show you something. So you and I don't give up. Right now, our worship pastor is playing on a keyboard. The sound that you're hearing is because he is putting pressure on the keys. I'm going somewhere with this. He steps up to that keyboard and he applies the pressure and the music comes out. God steps up to your life and he applies the pressure and the sound comes out. The glory comes out. The praise comes out. The goodness comes out. The strong relationships comes out. The stronger marriage comes out. The praise to your God comes out. He says, I'm gonna be Alpha and Omega. I'm gonna win. I'm gonna get the glory. God says, it's okay. I'm putting some pressure right now on your life. But guess what? It's making a sound that the angels in heaven can't even make. It's a sound that one day people are gonna look back and you're gonna be a testimony for what God did in your life. And so this morning, God is saying, hey, let me put a little pressure on your life. And God is, he knows what he's doing. If I were to step up to this keyboard, I can't even play chopsticks. I can't do it. I can do the, that's what I would get. But when you got a master at the keyboard, when you have someone you can trust at the keyboard, when you have someone who's trained, when you have someone who's practiced all their life to put the right pressure at the right place at the right time, because timing is everything and putting your fingers at the right place is everything. And God knows the right time to put pressure in your life. He knows the right place to put pressure. And you say, God, I'm dying. God, I'm, I'm about to give up. And God says, don't worry. There's a sound coming out of your life. There's a music, there's a rhythm. There's something beautiful coming out of the pressure. So this morning, you and I need to say, God, I surrender to it. God, I surrender to what you wanna do. God, would you get glory in this? God, I won't give up, I won't quit. I'm gonna keep making progress as God just applies the pressure. Stand on your feet if you would this morning because God is the master at applying the pressure. And I know you feel like you're dying under the weight, but what God is producing out of your life is what our worship pastor is producing out of that keyboard. It's something beautiful. It's something that warms the heart, something that encourages the soul. It's something that gives you strength in those dark moments. And God is saying this morning, when the pressure comes, it's for purpose. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.